Welcome to the desert of the real. What is real? How do you define real? Do you believe in fate? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. What are you trying to tell me? That I should dodge bullets? No. Trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. There is no spoon. Because you have been down there, you know that way. You know exactly where it is. You know what that means? It's Latin. It means no. I tell. As you adequately put, the problem is choice. Causality. Action. Reaction. Cause. Infant. Everything begins with choice. No. Wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those with them. This is a Sci-Fi Rewind with Kevin Batchelder, Miles P. McLaughlin, and Scott Herzog. Episode number is this seven or eight? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Well, you're full of questions tonight. <laughs> Somewhere. Uh, hold on. I can look it up, too. Yeah, I can be the Christian one and look it up. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Rewind, Episode 8. This is a joint effort between the Sci-Fi Diner podcast and the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And I am Kevin Batchelder. And welcome, guys. It's good to be back here talking about The Matrix. Mm -hmm. The Matrix series, I guess, not The Matrix movie. We did that. But how's everyone been? Good. Um, I just watched the uh, Animatrix today just to just remember everything, get it fresh in my mind. And it was fun. Good ride. Now, you watched it before, Miles? I did. You did watch it. Mm -hmm. And Kevin? Yep. I had uh, seen it... uh couple of times before and then you know recently in the last few days uh, rewatched it i know some folks kind of consider this the you know redheaded stepchild of the series they don't always go back and watch it yeah and, and, and yet i feel and we'll talk about this obviously it does give us some important insight into the matrix uh, yeah I, I agree yeah so i feel like it is it is you're right it's like well it's not really a part of the trilogy per se but it is in a sense that it's part of the canon of it. The Bukowski brothers are still there. Mm-hmm. And I guess technically, if you want to argue, we should have went and played the video game Enter the Matrix because that's also considered part of the mm-hmm. expanded universe <laughs> and plays parallel along with Reloaded. That, that so. would have been a real commitment if we you made the three of us go out and buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if the game have. system still But plays. I'm going to tell you, I was watching clips of it. 
And there are clips that play right into the flight of the Cyrus. The I guess the very first clip okay. that's on the Animatrix. So, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I did watch part of this about two weeks ago. Then I watched most of it today mm-hmm. while running on the elliptical. So <clears throat> nothing like some good pumping music in the uh, in the shorts. But, and then I discovered that I had that I actually was missing two of them. But we'll get to that later. So, <laughs> but so do you remember I, them from le- the first? Yes, episode? I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't have the details. Okay, so <laughs> the details is what I'm going to be lacking here. Well, uh, did you guys have a preference how we do this? We're just going to walk through this, or any general comments? And I guess, by the way, we're going to spoil the sucker, good and red, um, all the way down. So just be aware that we are not holding anything back. If you haven't watched the Animatrix, stop right now. Go back and watch the Animatrix if you really want to. But. Yeah, and I think actually we, from a continuity point of view, most of this stuff uh, actually occurred before, well, I don't know about most, but a good portion of it uh, was before Reloaded. So we're kind of doing it a little out of order, too. We, we are. We are. And I think, well, now, I guess, obviously the flight of the Osiris happens before. Uh, the kids' story happens before. But then there's some other stuff that's kind of standalone-ish. And then there's that which kind of is more historical. So there's yeah. just a bunch of different veins in here. Yeah. So it depends on the short we're talking about. I guess maybe we should define, for those of us maybe listening and don't know what the Animatrix is, what is the Animatrix? I know you guys want to take the stab at describing this collection. Well, from what I've read and understand, it's, it's kind of the bridge between the first and second movie, as you said, for a couple of the stories. It's, it's uh, different styles of um, animated shorts. Uh, like you said, playing within the Matrix world and also as stories uh, inspired by, apparently, the Warkowski brothers, I believe, wrote like three or four of these. And then, you know, the, a lot of the stuff they were inspired by from over in Japan is where they brought it over there to have them create this. So it, it uh, filled some time between those two movies. Right. And, I mean, the other thing that this does, this plays into the Warkowski brothers, their love of animation. I mean, you saw them explore many different animation styles in this in this little trip down, I guess, the Matrix through different vignettes. Mm-hmm. And you really saw them explore that. And yeah, I, I got to go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead, Miles. I'm Scott. No, go ahead. I'm just going to say for myself, this viewing of it was my first one on Blu-ray. Okay. And the, uh, I do recall the very first time I saw that very first one. Uh, on the disc, the flight of the Osiris, and how you know vivid and realistic it looked and on Blu-ray. I mean, it just literally popped off the screen. Yeah, definitely. And I'm looking at the release dates, and this disc did come out prior to Reloaded and Revolutions, which came out. They all came out the same year, 2003. So, <clears throat> yeah. So I guess we should just take them in the order of the disc, right? Makes sense. First, it was the first one, Flight of the Osiris, right? Since we kind of mentioned that already. That was the first one. Come on, damn it, help me. Final Flight of the Osiris. Sent both. There's thousands of them. Directly above us. Zion has to be warned. Go, go. Come get some. Fly, baby. Fly. (laughs) 
So let's talk initial impressions, and then we can get down to the nitty and gritty of the story and what we liked and what we didn't like in this. So Flight of the Osiris, Miles, what did you think of this one? Um, I enjoyed it. The animation was beautiful. I think it's, the animation even still holds up today uh, as far as just um, how crisp and how realistic it looks like. I mean, it, yes, it's CGI, but sometimes you can't even tell. The people look almost very real in this, uh, so that they really went all out in, in, in the CGI aspect of it. Good story. Um, very brief. It was just you, you, they kind of told you what was going to happen in, with the title of The Last Flight of the Osiris. Um, our heroes were probably not going to make it. But um, they both died. They, they all died a heroic death. Uh, yeah, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. It's a tragedy. Um, but a uh, little funny scene between the captain and the one woman. I mean. Uh, right. Uh, Strip fighting. Strange. Very strange <laughs> idea of foreplay. Um, <laughs> but uh, humorous nonetheless. Uh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Kevin? Yeah, I think it's uh – it's interesting because it shows a lot of what we also saw, you know, with the, the as you mentioned, Miles, the two of them and the whole uh, dojo scene, very similar to what we see with Neo and, and Morpheus, the whole idea of being able to, you know, have some fun while you're on the ships, and which obviously leads to the bigger problem once they realize the OMG moment with the, you know, millions of Sentinels and everything else that they're going to have to deal with. You kind of realize at that point that, you know, they're already dead. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you said, millions of sentinels. It, that was just the sentinels are the scary, ugliest things I've ever you know seen. And you know, as far as like robotic, um, you know, attack dr- drones or whatever. I mean, they're just very scary and ugly looking. And to see that many of them, uh, just yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. It's very intense. Yeah. You know, you know, one of the things that I got to give the Wachowski brothers credit for in the regular movies, because they could have taken this and played with this idea in the regular movies, is they never really, even though they're dealing with a virtual world, they really don't get too much into sexuality in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, but here they really play it up in this little short a little bit, mm-hmm. um, maybe to the extreme. But talk about, I mean, I'm watching the guy's muscles, right? And you see how defined and how... You can see the sweat running down. Mm-hmm. That's some beautiful animation. And the scars. Oh, yeah, the scars. Mm-hmm. And she's not hard to look at either. No, they, the animators <laughs> did a good job of uh, designing this uh, right, right, right. character. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't know her name, but Thaddeus is his name. Mm-hmm. But I do know that, but I don't know her name. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, definitely they, they really showed how far you can push animation with that first short. Right. That must have been an expensive one to make. Oh, it had that to short. be. It had to be. Um, but it was, I think it was a great one to pick as the opening one because, I mean, it really got you riveted. Oh, yeah, at least it really threw me in. And again, you know, you said the Wachowski brothers are the one that wrote they wrote that one. So um, I did like, as you mentioned, the echo back to the first movie, the whole room and them fighting within that construct was kind of cool. Also liked the girl, Jew. Mm-hmm. I love when she enters the Matrix to get the message to the Dropbox. Right. That whole scene of her... You know, twisting, falling, turning, grabbing onto stuff, swinging around it is very reminiscent of a Trinity type figure. Yes, her entrance is very Trinity esque. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a beautiful sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I did have a question for you guys. Typically, when they jack into the Matrix, they are parked and hooked up to a hard line. They're hard lined into it. 
These guys aren't hardline into it. They're flying when they're jacked in. That is that is true. I mean, so any thoughts on that? Am I missing something, Kevin? Can they? No, it's an excellent observation. I think they maybe a little bit of the creative license so they didn't stick that hard and fast to, you know, what we saw in the movie. You know, it wouldn't have been as fun to have them sitting there and have sentinels swarming. It's a lot more fun to be chased and firing at sentinels as you're flying down. The Osiris crashes, and that's the, the Osiris last stand, and mm-hmm. there's machine guns going off. And she's is she going to make it to the drop box? You know, there's a lot more on the edge of your seat the way they did it. No doubt, I liked it, but just a little nitpick as to everywhere else they kind of park Jack into the Matrix and even make reference to it. That they need to find a good place to stop and wire in, but then they're flying. Yeah, it's little inconsistency, um, but probably forgivable. Yeah, but <clears throat> so uh, we find out, of course, how Zion gets the information. So, is the Osiris mentioned in the uh, second movie? I'm trying to remember if they, they refer to it. I think it is alluded yes. to in that that discussion scene they have fairly early on. In the warehouse, like with all the captains together. Okay. Right, right. And it's, I know it's mentioned in Enter the Matrix, the video game that we are not going to play. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think they tie that in a little bit more. Okay. So, but, uh, Other thoughts in this? I mean, this is kind of the opening one. It's beautiful. Anything else we want to say about this? Um, no, it was just it was a great little short. wish it was a little longer. It was... Uh, I mean, what they could do with the animation back in 2003 was really good. I mean, I want you's phone. You want her phone? (laughs) I still do. You know, they never came out with those Matrix phones back in the day. And even though I have an iPhone, I absolutely love it. I want want a phone like that. (laughs) That pops open like, I think it is. Anyways, any thoughts, Kevin, before we move on? No, I think we've done pretty good. Okay, second, let's move on to the second Renaissance Part 1. Thus, Woodman tried to cut the machines off from the sun, their main energy source. May there be mercy on man and machine for their sins. Now, I don't know about you guys, these two, I guess Renaissance Part 1 and 2, because they kind of work together... Mm-hmm. They're hard to watch. They, they, are, you're, they are hard to watch. They're it brutal. Just, it just, are we really that bad? I mean, um, I mean, are we, <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, just humanity at its worst. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. We're terrible. Mm-hmm. And when there's one scene in there where these guys are, what appears to be they're attacking and trying to rape this woman because she's part right. of this robe. But she's a robot, and they you know they, they just keep beating on her. You still feel bad. It doesn't matter whether it's a robot or not. You exactly. feel bad. It, it, it still feels. You still feel bad. sympathy. Yeah. But. Because just how they, they, they treated the robots. I mean, it's just. And the same way when it's echoed in Renaissance 2, that you feel equally as terrible when the humans are going through it. I don't know. I mean, uh, it just seems like the way they depicted the, the humans are, are definitely the bad guys here. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, see, well, I mean, even so much to the point that they're the ones responsible for blacking out the atmosphere, so um, the machines can't get solar energy. Yeah. In the beginning, there was man. Then man made the machine in his own likeness. Thus did man become the architect of his own demise. Yeah, 
Weigh in here, Kevin. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I had a very much had a Terminator vibe watching these in the sense of realizing, you know, again, showing that we're our own downfall and, and you know, several opportunities as the story played out to realize that uh, if, if mankind could realize what they had created and, and kind of backed off their holier-than-thou attitude that, uh, you know, they'd still be breathing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Definitely a Terminator vibe in this. Yeah. But. I mean, as, as Miles said, it's just very incredibly depressing and and realizing that kind of the scary side of, of letting things go too far. Right. The narrator of that was um, pretty much, I think, echoing our opinion as far as just, uh, you know, what, what humanity did to itself. Yeah, although uh, although in the second Renaissance she makes it clear that both man and machine has sinned because they say it, it, she makes one may, may uh, God have mercy on man and machine on their sins. Yeah. So he, that, yeah. He, she kind of she doesn't pin blame just on man. Mm-hmm. I mean, man certainly is the originator of it, the initiator of it, but the way the machines retaliated is almost just as in her mind, in the narrator's mind, at least appears as blameful. Mm-hmm. Are as sinful as what man has done. Hmm. Two wrongs don't make a right. I guess it's the argument. That might be what she's, the narrator's trying to say. But right, but again, I think too, it's the case of where since mankind created the machines in the first place, we've got to take the larger portion, at least in my mind, of the responsibility to see a situation going wrong and know when to stop it. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. Because obviously, if we're creating something in our own image and we're flawed, then obviously the same situation is going to occur with them. Yeah. And a, and a lot of echo back to the biblical story of Genesis, which I think is obviously what they're hinting at, the fact this whole creation of machine and, you know, they even use the terminology, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, or made, made, made machine in our yeah. image. I mean, it was, um, uh, definitely the biblical references are definitely there. And let there be light. Mm-hmm. So some of those throwbacks were, were, were neat, but mm-hmm. uh, it was totally different Genesis here going on. But. It was very useful, very useful backstory. I mean, it, yeah, you find out how things came into being and why the Matrix exists as it does. Yeah. So it definitely served its purpose there. Yeah. Um, I like the echo of man being the architect. They may, and they, they pointed out, and instantly you go to, of course, in Reloaded, you're like, oh, here is the architect. Mm-hmm. You know, the architect of the Matrix, that the Matrix itself has an architect. Uh, so it's um, so in a sense, in the virtual reality, the Matrix is the architect of man, and in con- you know conversely, but the the roles get reversed. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I love too yeah, in the first point. one, especially you see the machines um, are enslaved by humans, and in the end, humans are enslaved by machines, and it's kind of the irony and twist mm-hmm. in that. But well, you no. were going to say something, Kevin. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no, that's right where you were going. This is the. Yeah, much like the entire trilogy, the, these these shorts and stories do the same thing, crystallized down to whatever it was, five, ten minutes long, to hit you at that point where you still step back and start thinking about the impact of it all and our place in it as well. You know, it's it still comes back to at, at several points in that juncture when we, you know, gave the machines the ability, whatever you want to call it, to be alive, uh, uh, individuality, uh, life, whatever it is, that if we didn't take it that far, expecting too much from them, then they wouldn't have got, quote, smart enough to do this to us. But 
But even when there was the situation of defining whether or not they are alive, again, we had to be so callous and and uh, stupid that uh, you know if we had just acknowledged it, then this whole thing was avoidable. Yeah. So it's not like there's a single moment of screwing up. In other words, <laughs> mm. you got several bunch marks along the way where you can step back and go, "There's a better way to do this." Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, especially the first time when what is it? Um, Bi six six er comes to speak before the Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or the United Nations, and they kind of destroy him. Then, or he's he's the one that's in trial for destroying murder. for destroying his master because he wants to live, mm-hmm. and his master right. wants to dismantle him. Um, and I did wonder, maybe one, maybe Kevin or Miles, you know this is the Bi six six er. Is that lead speak for bigger? Do you know? I, I never put that together. Because um, mm-hmm. it looks yeah. that way when you actually write it out, like bi six six er looks bigger. Yeah, it does. So, but I didn't know if it was lead speak. Um, it brings up an interesting concept. That whole scene about what right do we have to destroy our own property, and when does that go so far? It's very Asimovian. If you ever read any of Asimov's stuff, the robot series, the Psychohistoria, um, the uh, his his whole iRobot series onto the Foundation series, um, he does this whole series called um, I have it sitting on my shelf here. Surely you turn around and look, but it's this robots in the city, and it deals with the rights of robots and the rights of humans. So it felt very much that way, and this whole idea: can you destroy something that's intelligent like this? Hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It, it's this is one of the better uh, stories on the discs that really gets you thinking quite a bit. What was also poignant was you see these uh, dozens of robots pushing this large crate up this ramp. Oh yeah. I mean, why? I mean, well, with with today's even with today's technology, why would you need? You know, you don't use people to to push large crates up ramps. You use, you know, you. you Cranes or cranes something. or forklifts or you know we have lots of stuff that can move stuff that big but there was just the symbolism they were uh, yeah the, you know. the the Egyptian pyramids they even even the pyramid structures are there yeah I, I I like the throwback to the whole million machine march oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, which which at first I said well that's kind of hokey but if machines are imitating us in our image then it makes sense that they would do something similar mm-hmm. yes. You know, from that end. Did anyone think of Transformers when they were dumping the machines into the ocean? Because don't they dump the, they dump the Decepticons into the ocean there at the end of movie one, don't they? I was actually thinking of Terminator when you see um, – when you, in Transformers – I mean Terminator 3 when you see all, all those – the skeletons in the, in the, in the at the bottom of the of, of the ocean. Okay, yeah. But just kind of in reverse. Uh, see, that doesn't help me. I didn't see Terminator Three. Okay, so that's the only one of the Terminator franchise I didn't see. Mm-hmm. So and I heard I missed so much. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the name of the robot nation Zero One, of course, symbolic of the binary code. I assume. I would just take that. I would yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yep. pretty exactly. in there. Um, <clears throat> But I think the genesis, I think the Renaissance one really does a good job of showing that it's man's fault. I think it's where we get into number two that it becomes a bit more. Uh, the machines are now here at fault as well. But well, the machines have retaliated. Have, have retaliated, struck back. I mean, yeah. But a g- good lesson. I mean, uh, you know, definitely thought provoking. Yeah. I mean, if we if we, if we ever get that 
advanced technologically? You know, what are the ethics of should we create robots that are that advanced? It's really hard to watch mankind be destroyed, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> it just is. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we have it coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any any thoughts about that episode, The Renaissance Part 2? Um, Kevin or Miles? I think we, we, we really – I think we dissected pretty good. Well, I, yeah. did, I did a one thought. The horse that's riding and they're shooting at that horse, that robot horse that's riding in that one scene is very much like the horseman of the apocalypse. Oh, I, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. I don't, maybe that's not intentional. Uh, many times I think when I think it's – you know, when it comes to mind, I think they're hinting at it at least. Um, and also they make that other reference where they – right before they blow up humanity, the one robot is holding an apple. Mm-hmm. That whole symbolism there. De- definitely a lot of biblical symbolism and yeah. themes in that whole thing. It, what did you think about that scene, that Thomas Kincaid scene, the child's out playing in the snow and runs to home, and all suddenly it turns evilly eerie. She's in this pod. That was creepy. That was very creepy. Yeah. Very, yeah, creepy is the right word for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it did make me think, though, and this is like a more of a philosophical bent, not really related to the episode. We, do we construct our own dream worlds? Like, do we construct reality as we see it in the way we want to see it and not the way that it actually is? There's probably some. Well, I stumped we, you, Miles. We try. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, the, the, it, it's. I don't think it's 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 either or. It's it's both end. I mean, I think it's. I mean, we have. I mean, there is a certain thing to reality we have to sort of conform to. But do we try to mold it in the image that we want? Yeah, I think we we we, we try to, and we we succeed and fail at different places. Yeah, Kevin, your thoughts on that. Oh, this could be a two-hour podcast. <laughs> uh, what do I say without opening up cans of words? I mean, I think the answer is absolutely. We, we all create our own view of reality, whether it's dream world or interpretation. I mean, you love to see all of those uh, uh, criminal shows or crime shows where they have a, a, a uh, an accident scene or, or five people witness a crime and you get five different stories about what happened, you know? Everybody is always filtering from their own point of view, and that so much drives what we think is 100% accurate when in reality it really is. Right. Yeah, I I think that we obviously – we're looking through our own lens, and that that's – there's so many things that play into that lens. You know, our upbringing, um, our experiences in the world that, that shape that perspective. And, and so when we look at any given event in the news – even the news is kind of sharing stuff, you know, through a colored lens as it is. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, what is, do we live in a dream world? Uh, we certainly don't live in a world that paints we where we have necessarily the best or the most accurate view of reality. Correct. So, anyways, all right, I think we've done enough with Renaissance. Let's move on. Kid's story. Neo, I believe. I know it wasn't a dream.
This is not real. And the real world lies somewhere else. A typical mental delusion. We get unbalanced kids like this all the time. Reality can be a pretty scary thing for some people. This world must have been a cold and alienating place for a boy like that. It's called denying reality. It's, you know, just a self-defense mechanism for those type of kids. Well, he's in another world now. Make no mistake about that. His vitals are good. He's going to make it. It's unbelievable. I didn't think self-substantiation was possible. Apparently it is. Neo. It's okay. You're safe now. I knew. You'd save me. I didn't save you, kid. You saved yourself. Tell me about kids doing. Well, this this is something we definitely will see in the second Matrix movie. Yeah, it reloaded. This definitely led into the. It really explained something. If you didn't re, if you didn't watch a short, you're like, where's this kid coming from? How did Neo save him? Yeah. You know, you're really asking a lot of those questions. Uh, thoughts on this, Kevin? Yeah, it's a, it basically you get to see too like a bit of a parallel of of, and it makes you wonder. Or at least for me, what, what I got too thinking of this is that you see the parallels to Neo's uh, entrance in the Matrix, if you will, or Neo's story. Uh, how many other quote Neos there are, or were, or will be in the whole construct of uh, introduction into the Matrix? Right. You know, is this just is this just a mirror of Neo's story for the sake of a story to tell, or is this the the bigger picture of saying the movie, the Matrix, as we saw it, was looking at it from just one person's uh, entrance into the matrix when actually there's thousands of matrixes going on at the same time and this just happened to be another one and how this one got pulled in. What I found interesting about Kid's story and also World Record, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is that in both of these, the main character kind of gets into the matrix on their own, whereas Neo is kind of brought in through outside resources. Yeah, it's, I mean... He he, well he 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 does it by he realizes that the world he lives in is artificial. I will say, but, but uh, it's interesting. I mean, he 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 does it by taking a swan dive off the top of the of the school building. Yeah, but he knows that this you know, where, where, whatever he is living in now, it's not real. But yeah. it's just. Uh, but he, for some reason, he, he he has the foresight to know because usually, if that would happen to somebody else in the Matrix, if they fall off a building or whatever, they're going to die. Yeah, absolutely. They're not going to wake up, and you know. Yeah. What do you think of the animation in this one? It was a bit of a different style uh, than I'm that I'm typically used to as far as animation goes. Well, I think it's very much, and these. This is why this whole disc set is so cool. Is is, and I'm not someone who's a big fan or watches a lot of uh, animation or anime or or anything you want to call it. So this gives us some great samples of different visual styles. Yeah, um, and it it makes it kind of challenges, much like the whole Matrix trilogy. It kind of challenges you as you're watching things and and 
no 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 disrespect intended so towards some of these uh, animation folks but I'm sorry I mean I grew up with uh, Scooby Doo and things like that so it takes visually some getting used to it does. to look at things this, the, these ways yeah it was I thought it was interesting you know I liked it it was just a uh, bit of a different it was uh, if, obviously from Renaissance it's a bit of a different departure from the animation yeah it was maybe a little less naturalistic maybe right. a bit Impressionist, I guess. Is yeah, almost thing. almost sketched at parts. Mm-hmm. It felt almost sketched, but I liked it. And the the way they move, the way the agents move, is kind of like flowing and fluid. It's almost like water. Their their movements were a little weird to me. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, I, I I didn't get the the agents. I mean, yeah, they were almost like waddling or something. Yeah, you know, this is one of the this and detective story are one of the only scenes that we really get. The original cast. I mean, Neo and Trinity lend their voices mm-hmm. at the very end uh, to this episode, as well as uh, Trinity does in a detective story. Sure, but that's uh, so. That's other than that, and obviously the the kid itself is the same kid that's in the movie. And he writes in his little notebook. He's, uh, he has Neo's name on his notebook. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like the uh, the quote at the end. You know, it says, "Are you, am I alone?" And then the response, you are not alone. <laughs> it's kind yep. of this great final comment. Yep. But. It was interesting also that the um, at the funeral, the teacher's talking about, you know, the world and what world the kid is in now and stuff. Yeah. Was, you know. Yeah, very uh, reminiscent of that. Mm-hmm. So, But any other thoughts on kids' story? No. Yeah. All right, let's move on to what's the next one? Is the next one program? Program, yes. Program. What's real doesn't matter. I won't look away from the truth. I can't. Running away won't change anything. You betrayed us, didn't you? It's just a matter of time before Zion is wiped out. No! Program. This is my Samurai Jack episode. (laughs) (laughs) Did Did you watch Samurai Jack, Kevin? No, but I know it, so I, that's why I got a kick out of when you put it that way. <laughs> no, it is. The animation is very much like Samurai Jack. It felt that way, at least to a degree. I know it's not probably – people are going to call me out on technicality. It's not really Samurai Jack but in, in the style, but it echoes that, just the blockiness and the animation, the way they um, the way they kind of did stuff and the way they followed through with their fights I thought was very uh, kind of cool. So here we have an episode that really talks about it's like this test of betrayal. Like, can we tr- can we trust you? Mm. How loyal are you going to be now that you're out of the matrix? And um, so this is kind of the program itself, and we're set back into ancient China, um, almost um, this construct of these two people just fighting in this program and on horses. Yeah, they're just having a sparring session, and this guy who was, who was like her teacher. You know, um, then starts asking her the hard questions. Yeah. You know, and, he, and says, uh, "Don't worry. You know, we're locked out. We can we can talk freely here." <laughs> yeah. Then kind kind of tries to trick her. I wonder if this was in response to the first movie. I forget the character. Cipher. Uh, Cipher. If it's like, um, we got we, we you know we get, maybe we got to make sure our our people are are, are loyal and as a test to make sure um, they're not going to establish them back like Cypher did. I don't know. What do you think there, Kevin? Well, what I also, the vibe I got from it is this kind of uh, 
goes down the path of if you you were in a setup. I mean, all really in the movies we saw Neo, you know, brought into the um, you know the knowledge of what's really going on. But but if you were trying to pull like a bunch of people in, whether it's over the course of a long haul or you needed another twenty people to 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 accomplish the goal. You've got to figure, kind of like what Miles was saying, you've got to figure that not all of them are going to grasp it and be, be willing to go on board. You're going to have some ciphers in there. So this is your way, kind of like your, your well, almost like your Kobayashi Maru here. You've got to test everybody right, and see if, they're, if they've got the, the mental fortitude to do what's right. So, I mean, you would think that this would kind of become a standard test fairly early on um, when, when, when newer people haven't, can't grasp the difference between what's real and what's not yet. Uh, to find out, otherwise you're going to risk, you know, having too many people who just can't hack it, and will end up, you know, giving up the cause. Well, I wonder too. Agents. I wonder too. They mentioned the fact that when they pull Neo at, that he's kind of old for it, and that if you pull out, you know, people that are younger, they're a little bit, they're a little bit more moldable. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're maybe more willing to accept it, which is kind of the same idea you get from the earlier one uh, in Kid's story to a certain degree. I mean, let's face it, when we were all younger, maybe not jumping from a building, but, you know, you all questioned to a certain degree. I don't think you questioned reality. It's not so much that you understood what reality was, but you wondered about everything. You didn't understand things and you wanted to know more. That curiosity was very high at that younger age. Yeah, absolutely. So you were willing, you were willing like you said, to be molded or to, to be told this is how it is. Once you get older, you think you know it all and you don't like things that mess with your reality. You don't like yeah. change when you get older. A little bit harder exactly. to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, since when do they jack into the Matrix in their underwear? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, like, because you never see them on the regular, you know, in the regular movies doing that. And right, I think this is not it, the first time either in the, in the Matrix. <laughs> no, not in the Animatrix, but you know, I they make the comment, and I guess the teacher makes a comment that um, it's ironic one could be more at peace in the virtual world. Uh, I think he makes he alludes to that some way, and it makes me think about um, the huge ri- the huge rise in like um, online gaming, the massively multiplayer games that take up a lot of time, or any video game system in which you kind of immerse yourself into that world. Um, is there there's a sense of escapism, maybe a little bit, and maybe oh, there's sure. a little bit of that. I think it's kind of hinting that you know we can be maybe in some ways more comfortable in these virtual worlds than we are in reality. Well, I mean, they don't have to keep fighting for their lives. They don't have to fight for resources. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's an easier existence in the Matrix. They get to sink their teeth into steak. Yeah, whether it's, you know, real or not, who cares? Um, but not that bowl of runny snot. They do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thoughts on this, Kevin? Yeah, no, I, you know, what we've talked on is, again, it's another uh, story that makes you think about, uh, or at least for me, the the whole concept of uh, what is the routine if I'm bringing new people in, you know, for the cause, for the rebellion, whatever you want to call it, uh, how am I going to test them to make sure they truly are on my side? I, I hadn't given that much thought since we only saw the, again, Neo story from the movie point of view. Right, right. But yeah. this is a perfect, you know, perfectly done in terms of... Uh, uh, that'd be a tough test to have to do it yourself. Yeah. The the uh, protagonist's name is interesting. Duo. I Duo. Mean, I mean, it's uh, like duplicitous. Du- yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like duplicitous. That's that's cool. I didn't think of that. Um, I think it's uh, 
my question, one of my questions was initially, so she kills this creature, right? She kills Duo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that in reality, he would also be killed, right? If this is a real person, but I mean, right? It's, it's just yeah. It's a simulation. But is it, yeah, it's a simulation, like right. So that's what I said. Uh, so, uh, but at first, it was like you can't kill him, you know, <laughs> if he's a live person, and he's not. You you look when you when she comes out of it, he's not jacked in, right? So you kind of right. do see that. Um, but since when did they have elevators on ships? That's what I want to know because she leaves the episode on an elevator. I didn't even notice that. Um, Maybe that's another uh, inconsistency because those, those ships are not that big. I mean, they're no, not. I mean, they aren't. I mean, they, I, I remember if they, she's even on the ship, we don't even know. Well, that's that. that, that yeah, you're not sure whether you assume she's on a ship because that's when all this kind of stuff takes place. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. Favorite part of this entire scene is when she stops the blade with her hand. Hmm. You know, when she claps on it. Yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, Breaks it and then stabs him with it. Oh, that's a great scene. That's a good martial arts. I just hit my just hit my microphone when I said that. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, any, anyone who's a uh, big Buffy fan will know that there is a similar scene at, at one point in Buffy, and I won't say much more than that. Not not to that full degree of uh, everything, but the idea of catching the sword is is uh, a marquee moment in, in uh, Buffy. Well, and it's kind of an echo of the whole Chateau fight scene with Neo and Reloaded. Because um, doesn't he stop a blade at one point with his hand, and like it, he bleeds, and it's a see oh, only human. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean it's kind of an echo of that a little bit that they're stopping blades with their bare hands. So, mm-hmm. but what was the next one in the series? Because my went out of order here after this. Uh, Is it world, world record? record? Yeah. World record. Only the most exceptional people become aware of the matrix. Those that learn it exists must possess a rare degree of intuition, sensitivity, and a questioning nature. Signal is stable. This frequency will continue to remain open. However, very rarely, some gain this wisdom through wholly different means. This man is one of those few. Gentlemen, please take your mark. Doris, what's world record about, Miles? It's about a runner, and um, and that's basically it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. He, so he he hits eighty eight point. He hits eighty eight miles an hour, and then whisk away into the future. <laughs> Um, but Crossing like, our movie streams. <laughs> wait, wait. We're not talking about Back to the Future. That's in the next rewind that we're doing. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I felt old this week when Marty told, turned 50. Marty McFly. Marty McFly. When, when, <laughs> when, um, uh, the actor's name. Come on. Help me out here. Oh, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox turned 50 this week. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. World record. Uh, here, Here's one. When you hear his muscles creak, oh, they just kind of send shutters up your or side. It feels like something's ripping. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, what's interesting here, I mean, the opening is some people discover the truth, you know, purposefully. This guy discovered the truth accidentally. He did it that's something, the world he's living in is not the real world. 
Yeah. Well, and, and when we're seeing him, it sounds like this is the second time he's done it because they hint that he broke the record before and sure. he hints that something has happened then mm-hmm. and that this time he was really going to go all out. And the whole thing was the Sentinels, of course, trying to stop him from doing this. Hmm. They realize that he's going to actually get out, which I thought is kind of interesting because we haven't really, except for Neo, anyone else that's gotten out, we've never seen Sentinels really chasing them. Well, I guess we did in Kid's story, right? With the agents. Okay. Yeah, the agents kind of, I guess I'm saying Sentinels, I mean the agents mm-hmm. kind of chasing him there. But uh, This so, is also, go ahead. this is one of the ones that I, I had to watch a couple of times to try to grasp it. I mean, it seems very simple. Like I say, it's basically just a runner and the whole idea that when he hits that perfect stride that, that you know, he, he is able to cross over and what it does to his body, but not really. I mean, I don't know. I just, for me, I had to watch it a couple times because at first I was like, what what the hell is going on here? And then I don't know why. It just didn't quite click with me until I went, oh, you know, it's one of those dawning moments. Right, right. I love the... Uh the scene where he's like running down the track and all these and all the agents are chasing him. All right. That would make you run faster. You know, you're 20, <laughs> 20, 20 agents on your, I'm going to break the sound barrier by 20 <laughs> agents on my tail. But the, the, the thing that's really cool about that is this is a sprinter. So it's like, you know, the whole, in theory, we're watching in slow motion. So it's only t- in real time, it's only taking what, eight seconds or whatever. So right. you, would, you barely even have time to look back over your shoulder. Uh, Cause we're seeing it at, at the slow down pace. Right, um, which is interesting because it takes the, the agents like a second or two to transform into their people, right? Mm-hmm. So they're at a disadvantage right away. Yeah, but um, but so he breaks the record, right? And but you know, at, when he when he gets across the finish line, then the world, the matrix disappears, and he, and he sort of wakes up in that. Uh, well, they stop him. Well, they they stop him outside. Remember the machine, you know, he's waking up in his pod and the mm-hmm. machine comes and they shock him back into submission or whatever right. they do to him. Right. Uh, so that was interesting. But but I think what I liked about this one is even when they killed him, like they killed his spirit and they have him confined to a wheelchair, his his his, his resilience is still there. Yeah, he get he, he gets out of that wheelchair. Yeah. Well, again, he realizes he has that epiphany of realizing that even though he thinks his physical body is broken, his legs, whatever, it really isn't. That I'm, I'm above the physical body situation. Yeah. Any, any idea what the nuts represented? I don't know why. The, what, what was up those walnuts? Yeah. No, I, I didn't get that of, part. Yeah. That was that was one of the ones where I thought it might come back to me on a second or third watch of it, but I still didn't get it. Yeah. I was Maybe actually. I was actually hoping the first time I saw that, like, oh, the agents are going to step on the walnuts. They're going to slide. Feet are going to slide out from under him. And he's going to escape in through the window. <laughs> but no, none of that happens. Not so happy ending. So <laughs> maybe it's not really about a sprinter, and it's actually this is a story about the walnuts. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> and then you know he set the walnuts free. They were captive in his hand, and he set them free. Okay. That's reaching. (laughs) Let's move on. Let's talk about Beyond. What's happening? What's going on here? I got it! Yuki, is that you? There you are, Yuki. Come here. I've been looking everywhere for you, bad cat. 
bet you're hungry, huh? <laughs> This is an interesting one. Yeah, I, I particularly like this one. <laughs> Me too. I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. It was good. Well, it's another. It's almost like this is another example of, okay, if the Matrix is real, asterisk, asterisk, then you got to think that this would kind of happen. There would be situations. And you know what this – I drew a parallel between this and Fringe because I'm thinking it's almost like near the end, the place they like use the amber stuff to kind of like close off a place that people shouldn't go near. Right. Well, that's kind of what they do. Yeah, I mean, so I, that's when I started again crossing universes. But um, you got to think if if the Matrix is real and people you know go through their daily lives and never know it, well, there's got to be spots like weak points or cracks in the rift or whatever you want to call it, whatever phrase it is. And this is a great example of where if kids came across that, they would just think this is a playground. Oh, absolutely! I would have yeah. fun. The laws of gravity it, don't apply, and you could just yeah. uh, do it. You know, you could jump I mean, down, and you'll you won't kid fall down. Would love that, you know, right. make things float and, uh, you know, fall and hurt yourself. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about that. Again, and this is much like going back to our earlier discussion where when they normally pull people into the story, like they said, they don't want to do it to older people because they already have their fixed, stuck-in-their-ways approach to things. And kids are just going to think this is the way the world exists. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know what? I, I like the, the animation. This one reminded me very much of the band Gorillaz. Have you ever seen the their animation? No, I'm it's not the same. Either. It's the same uh, type of. Well, I forget who who's behind the band, but mm-hmm. there's a band called Gorillas, and it's an animated band, and mm-hmm. it's the same type of animation. Or it reminds me of that. Uh, I love the fact that you had the cat being a central one. I was noticing in kids' stories as well. You have a cat, and throughout they seem to throw cats into the stories a little bit. Not black cats, mind you, but yeah. cats. I've seen the black cat in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting parallel. Yeah. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like the truck coming in to clean up the anomaly. And it made me think just briefly back to the garbage truck in the first Matrix. But other than that, there was no other parallel. And they were coming to clean up Trinity, but they, uh, <laughs> which they didn't really do well. But, mm-hmm. but that's probably a stretch. But I thought that the frozen in time kind of stuff, when they showed stuff frozen, was kind of almost um, a little bit when they're training Neo. He's in that one fountain scene, the woman in the red dress scene where everyone freezes. Made me think of that a little bit. But I'm not sure that we got anything deep here in this one, unless maybe I'm missing something, guys. No, just the fact that, like what Kevin was talking about, it would take so much to maintain this virtual world I and mean, you have billions and billions of people living in it that there's going to be you know cracks there's going to be something's going to get missed yeah and oh we don't the laws of physics are not programmed right in this part yeah. of the world and uh i'll just, I'll just say you know the kids don't question it they just kind of enjoy it it's a haunt, they call it a haunted house i mean at first and then uh but then they go there and and don't they break this bottle a couple times yeah. and, and the bottle comes back? So it's just and they catch it. And so the time, you know, the laws of time are almost you know suspended or you know are not working properly. It's just the, things are not working properly in this world. The laws of physics just are, you know, it, it's not right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, any any other thoughts, Kevin? 
No, I think we covered it good. Yeah. Uh, I, the only thing I have to say is at the, the beginning scene of The Office reminds me of Neo's Office. I know I'm drawing a lot of parallels here, it feels like, between the movies, but you have that. And also The Ravens at the beginning where there you see them walking around the one scene reminds you very much of The Ravens and the Oracle and the Reloaded oh, yeah. scene a little bit. But. Well, I'm sure they, they allude to a lot. Of oh, that. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. That. And what is the next one that we have? Uh, Detective story. Okay, this is the one um, I watched pretty thoroughly. A case to end all cases. You know what I mean, Dinah? I used to think being a private detective was cool, like Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe, right? But there's nothing cool left to it. On top of that, both my fridge and my bank account are empty. Hmm. Wait. Okay, Dinah, let's bet. If it's another suspicious husband, I'm out of this business forever. Hello? Mr. Ash, I have a job for you. And you need me to check on your wife, right? I'm looking for a computer hacker. This hacker goes by the alias Trinity, that's all we know. Well, it looks like we're still in business, Dinah. Fine. Then who will I be working for? I can't say. You can't say? Well, call me back when you can say. That's not the way I do business. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. Before you hang up, take a look at your bank account balance. Go on, guys. Tell me about the Texas story. <laughs> this, was, this was interesting. This was like steampunk before steampunk. Okay. I mean, as far as just um, sort of modern technology with meets old world. I mean, this guy has his computer, but... He's using like an old-style typewriter for his um, keyboard and an old TV screen as for, for his screen. So, and he's dressed. He's a detective, but he's got you know, it's it's sort of you know stylistically. It just there there's um, things from the past, but still it, it's still sort of modern day. It's just kind of weird, to, but it was cool though. I mean, it had a great look to it. Yeah, the thing for me that I think I took from it, again, showing the whole Matrix world was, okay, again, going back to the, let's assume the Matrix is real. Agents are going to be looking for the key players like Trinity and eventually Neo in lots of different ways. They're so important to find. So the idea of just using uh, you know, a private detective or someone to try to find them to help them uh, is a very smart thing to do. You know, they don't have to do all the hard legwork themselves. Let's just use some of the the people in, in the in the matrix for us by by having them try to dig up uh, enough information to help us find them. And then, obviously, how bad that would be for the detective, as it finds out when this poor guy realizes that uh, you know he's been sucked into something he had no idea what it was. Oh yeah, yeah. It's and his his life had ends tragically. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, what I was going to say. Um, well, you know, it's very reminiscent a little bit of, you know, when you talk about, so they use like detectives or they use police to find these people, but they don't want 
them to actually apprehend them or deal with them. You know, mm-hmm. they want the sentinels or the agents want to come in and change into the people to apprehend them themselves. Right. But as, but as far as doing the leg work and trying to – And the dirty work. The yeah. dirty work and trying to get them, they're not opposed to using human beings at all. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, you know, human beings aren't, aren't totally dumb, so they'd be, uh, be helpful in that, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, any other thoughts on this one? Uh, Trinity looked pretty good in there. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, for those of you who are watching watch me here at Hall behind the scenes here, I didn't watch it in case I didn't establish it before. <laughs> but uh, I confess. Well, you missed but, out then. Yep. Yeah. How about matriculating? We won't beat the machines by making them our slaves. Better to let them join us by choice. That world we show them isn't real. To an artificial mind, all reality is virtual. Come on, damn it, help me. Tell me about matriculated. This is Miles' favorite episode. Not. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I, I like parts of it, but when they go into the, um, I like the idea behind it, where they they where there's other humans they apprehend. It's kind of a sentinel. What they call they call it a runner, but it's basically it's 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 one of them. There's other things besides sentinels that are out there, and they're, they're able to basically convert them to their sides. That sort of reminds me of Terminator, also reprogramming a Terminator to help you. What they what they said the doctor was saying, the machine has to do it. On its own free will, free choice to do so, um, which was which was which was interesting. Um, but then, as soon as they got into the matrix, they brought the machine, its mind into the matrix. That it was just a little too trippy for me. Yeah, give me a headache. So you're you're saying I have to be in drugs to watch us? Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to encourage anybody to do anything illegal. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I'm sitting in this room with paint fumes, and uh, I'm soon going to be there. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, paint fumes are not illegal. <laughs> no. Okay, then. Uh, thoughts, Kevin, on this? Uh, it's kind of similar to what Miles was saying in the sense that uh, this was one that, yeah, made my head hurt. I had to, you know, they certainly didn't go out with a simple one. Um Again, the idea that, okay, we can use the concept of the matrix as a way to trick machines for our own benefit by jacking them in. That was, again, I had not given that any thought. So that was very cool. I mean, the visual style and the kind of the multiple layers of this thing, you know, inside and outside the, what do you call it, the matrix of the machine there, was very weird. And the whole relationshipy part of it between the machine and the person. Again, yeah, my note is funny. That it, and I did a good job not laughing out loud when you were mentioning on drugs. My note at the end of this one, along with all the plot points, is, note, probably better if watched when you're high. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of had a um, Pink Floyd's The Wall sort of. Yeah, thing. Maybe you if you would have played the music for The Wall behind it, it would have <laughs> made it better. You know, start it in the third lion's roar. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Well, it almost started out with a... Remember the uh, MTV cartoon Ian Flux? Uh, that kind of had a, that feel when it first started. The, the woman kind of even had a resemblance to Ian Flux a little. Oh, bit. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of these wasn't one of these uh, done by the people who did that. I'm not I sure. Think they were. I think one of these was maybe, but you know, I don't know which one. I thought I remember reading somewhere in the notes that. Uh, 
someone behind that was. But I mean, it wouldn't be surprised because yes, it does visually have very much that look. Miles, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if Peter, Peter Chung's one that wrote and directed it, so I don't know if that's um, the same guy that did it or not. But you know, as you look at the matrix, as you look at the animatrix as a whole. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite shorts out of here, Miles? Give me your favorite one out of all of these. As far oh, that's that's a hard one. I mean, the uh, the first the first one, the last play of Osiris, I really like. It's just a beautifully done um, episode, and, and even as as hard to watch as it was, um, the second Renaissance, you know, I thought was good too. Yeah, and uh, Kevin, what were what were your top ones? Probably the ones that, um, I mean, uh, Flight of the Osiris was just visually cool and it, and it tied so beautifully in the movies that kind of makes me push that one up the list. But I think some of the other ones that really made us think about the Matrix world, uh, everything from kid story to, to you know, detective story to even um, beyond a little bit, I, I, I don't so much... And, and the, the the second Renaissance ones are just too goddamn depressing for me to call them my favorites. <laughs> I know, <Yeah. laughs> but but they do they make they make you think, and that's why I really got a kick out of them. Uh, which is too bad why some folks, hopefully none of you that are actually listening to us, obviously, have chosen to kind of not watch these to consider them part of the canon matrix universe because these these you know even though it's animated, it's some very thought provoking stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think that probably my top one. Has to be uh, it has to be world record. I, there's just something about it that I really enjoyed about it. But I agree, probably Renaissance one and two probably are probably the best as far as giving us history. Yeah, that you just wouldn't get if you're into the Matrix world. It's you know they allude to where we come from, but here you get to actually you get a definitive history of it. Very definitive, yeah. But and by the way, I did look it up. The guy that wrote the last episode, Peter Chung, is the guy that did A M Flux. Okay. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, uh, see, now it all comes together. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it has that feel. Well, we did get some listener feedback, and let me go ahead and uh, read this first one. This first one is from Colin, who wrote in um, about the Animatrix. And he said, hello, one and all. Well, this was an real 11th hour thing for me. My copy only arrived from Amazon on Monday, yesterday, I guess, or two days ago, yesterday. The original seems well walked. I love the Animatrix and the way that it ties up a few loose ends while also telling you how it started. The opening segment, the final flight of the Osiris, tells us how Zion found out about the impending attack. The animation in this was superb. I've never seen a sexual sword fight before. <laughs> Maybe the sword is more than just a sword in that one. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Or um, uh, man, I just lost my place. Oh, the animation in this was superb. And although, uh, uh, although brief, I, pl- I plugged a little gap. The rest of the shorts were brilliant, a fabulous exploration of the Matrix and the real world. We finally got to see how it all started, how man's greed and sloth led to our downfall, how our reliance and then resentment of our own creations led to our fall. I found it interesting that when we built machines, we built them in a very human way, whereas the machines built machines uh, that were more insect-like. Obviously, they view it as more efficient concept. The mix of anime, computer-generated images, and magna, I got manga, and, uh, and uh, when I say magna, I don't know if they, uh, a manga, I guess it is, and cartoon all give each part um, its own twist. Not all tie into the movies, though. 
Uh, any comment on anything he said so far? The uh, 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 yeah, his point about when man built machines that the machines resembled humans, and when machines started building new machines, they didn't look like humans; they looked like insects. Even um, the uh, sentinels looked like squids. I mean, with the Man. And when you saw them flying around, it, it almost looked like they were moving around in water too. Well, this plays away. This plays a little bit into the whole Agent Smith speech, where he says humanity is like a virus. Uh, mammals and everything else kind of give back to the world, and maybe that's why they emulate animals or more natural things. Could be to distance themselves from uh, humans. from human. Yeah. But, uh, thoughts, Kevin. Uh, most of his point. No, his points I follow completely, and, and that whole. It's the whole idea, I think, of creating something in, in your own image. I mean, mankind wants to be comfortable with the machines around them, so they want them to look like everything else they see all day long. You know, machines don't have, I don't think, that same uh, need. So they, they look at, you know, functionality, what can what would work best. In right. other words, not as emotionally tied to the visual aspect of it. Yeah. He goes on to say, world record is a great example and a great piece. An African-American wakes, awakens to the matrix, and then the ramifications ensue, but this could easily have been a short in itself. I also like the style, the stylish, I also like the stylish, um, uh, I'm not sure I understand it. Oh, I also like the style uh, and the coloring. You know he's African-American, but in a way he's showing in gray. A uh, detective story and beyond are another are another two strong showings in the lineup. I like the pseudo old style detective story with its black and white scheme in the old comic book. The films allow to see Neo rescuing someone from the Matrix in Kid's story. Renaissance 1 and 2 gives us the origins of it all. It was ironic that the hovercrafts were machine built. Oh, we didn't talk about that, but I thought that was kind of cool. That the, the, uh, machines, the, the machines built the hovercrafts. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, Beyond ties into the movie with the cat appearing from different angles, which I thought was a nice homage. In short, the Animatrix is fun, artistic, and great entertainment. I think you have to have seen the Matrix to understand it, especially all the nuances. If I had a criticism, it would be that not all the segments gel. The quality and pace and production qualities are massively different. Sometimes when you jump from one to another, the different styles can pull you out a bit. I agree. Plus, watching like that, you know who's had a bigger budgets. Uh, that said, I do enjoy the anima- the animatrix overall, and it's nice to see the different sides of the universe. Live long and po- podcast. Copyright 2011. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you notice he doesn't even mention that episode. What The one episode, the Dream World, the A Flux director episode. Hmm. He doesn't even mention it. So He probably didn't care for it either. No, no. <laughs> Either that or he was high when he was watching. <laughs> we aren't saying you're high, Colin. So just, say, just to clarify, thanks, Colin, for writing in and giving us that feedback. Um, Kevin, any other response to what he's saying here? No, he's got an excellent handle on it. I'm glad he got a chance to, you know, through the luck of delivery, get a chance to see it right before uh, we talk to record because he's got some excellent points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on the forums, you had a response, and this is partly in response to Reloaded and also into at least hints at the Animatrix. Um, and I, I don't know the guy's name or girl's name. is Adavia. So I don't know if that's a guy or girls, but yeah, and, one, of the forum, one of our forum. Yeah, one of the. So this is this is from the forum posts. Um, which, by the way, if you want to contribute to a forum discussion about anything Matrix related, as we're going through this, jump over to Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV and go to their forums. You'll find it. So. You can do a search, I guess, and find it. But he says this. 
Um, this gave me a much better appreciation for Reloaded, re- referencing our last episode. I haven't seen it since it first came out. I originally didn't like it because of the fight scenes. Seeing it again, I noticed all the CGI in the fight scenes. I guess with the recent trend for movies to have more realistic fight scenes, I especially noted that the perform that the perfectness of the CGI, there are no bruises, there's no grimaces, and it's partially explained by the fact that they are in the Matrix. But I found that, a really, that it really stood out for me. I always loved the Oracle character, loved her in the original Greek mythology. And in the first movie, this makes it better that she's a computer program as well. Also, the fact that this is a sixth Neo was surprising. Originally left me going, huh, what? Um, and as far as the Adam Matrix, I'm looking forward to it when I found out when I found this in the library after the first movie, I borrowed it and was pleasantly surprised. Love the different stories and different art styles. Looking forward to watching it again. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, so uh, thanks for sharing that. And, yeah, I think like it's a, we're a general consensus here. We enjoyed Reloaded. You enjoyed Reloaded, Miles, watching it again. I, I probably enjoyed it more a second time around, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, um, any other comments here? No, I think we... Uh, you know, dissected the Animatrix pretty good. Yep. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just glad Colin and, and other folks, you know, we inspired him a bit to rewatch it or have a new look on it. That's the whole point of some of these discussions is uh, revisiting this fun stuff. Yep. And uh, and it's no surprising, you know, it, people were kind of ambivalent about the Animatrix. I think we'll get a few more people on board when we do uh, Re- Revolutions, right? So. Yep. Yeah, a little bit more people interested in that. So when are we going to do Revolutions Review? We're now into July here. What does July look like for you guys? Looks fine for me. Okay. Finding finding a night that works for all of us. So plan on having Revolutions Watch, for those of you listening, by the second week of July. Somewhere between the second and third week is probably when we'll do our recording. Um, it'll probably have to be the beginning of the second week if we can manage to finagle it, depending on your schedule. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to look at your schedule, Miles, and work around that. Okay. Um, but we'll try to shore that up. But we'll definitely do revolutions. And so watch it with us as we bring this whole Matrix watching experience to its ultimate conclusion. Hmm. And boy, does it end. Oh, it does. Does it, does it ever end? Hmm. So, yes. Kevin, where can they find more about you, the shows that you do, and more about what's going on with The Matrix? Folks can come by our website at uh, tuningintosci-fi-tv.com to find all of our podcasts and links to our forums and such. Yep, all the Twitter handles and Facebook pages you can find right there. Yep. But, and Miles, where can they find out about you? Um, I'm, I'm on our Facebook page a lot, um, and I have a Twitter handle, uh, sort of War for Twitter. Yeah, you do a good job on the Facebook page, man. Much better than I do. There's days and weeks that I feel like I'm not there. But you represent, yo. It's all good. <laughs> uh, and my name's Scott Hertzog, and you, of course, find us at the SciFiDinerPodcast.com, where you can find links to everything else. And I believe that is about it. All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Take care, gang. Bye.